Yeah. Stay standing. Yeah. Um, stay seated. Yeah. Yeah. Stay. That's fine. No, it's all good. Yeah, we're on the same page. Yeah, it's all good. Man, I am glad to be back here. Uh, my name is Cody. Um, I get to be the pastor here. I've been gone for the last three weeks, and um, I, I joked when I came in today. I was like, man, I have never been, um, never missed the smell of an elementary cafeteria so much in my life. I am so glad to be back with you, my church family. Um, God, uh, man, I just love you guys. I've missed you, um, and I'm glad to be back um, today. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 11 today, verses 1 through 17. I'm only going to read 1 through 6 right now, um, but if you would go ahead and turn um, in your Bibles, if you have them, if not, no worries, it's going to be on the screen for you. Um, here we go. Um, I know that this series is called Exodus, and we're in the book of Numbers today, but um, the book of Exodus actually ends at Sinai, and but the Exodus story, they continue on, and they're in the wilderness. So we're entering into a phase now that the children of Israel are in the wilderness, in the wilderness and it's going to be 40 years before they get to the promised land. And we are this, this text here today is three days after they leave Sinai, where God has reestablished the covenant, told them who they are, told them who he is, and we're three days. Now keep that in mind. Three days. All right? Everybody say three days. All right, great. Here we go. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord. We could stop right there. The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. Well, what do you mean? It's three days worth of misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. Oh, okay. You can make God mad. That's good to know. All right. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taborah. Because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now, all of you young married couples, note, Tabra is not a good name to name your daughter. Okay? Sounds good, does it? Not, not good. Verse 4. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Let's pray. God, um, I pray that you would reveal um, to us in your grace and in your mercy um, the places in our lives where we complain about your good and gracious provision. And that we long for things that we had while we were in slavery. God, would, would you grant us um, not only the knowledge of those things today, but would you also grant us repentance to turn from those? Would we see the goodness of your son Jesus, and the provision that you have made for us. God, would you remove far from our hearts complaint and the comparison that leads to that? And would you do that by just a deeper knowledge of what you have provided for us in Christ? In your good, good name and for our deepest joy, we ask it. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. 
Um, again, if you're just now walking in, my name is Cody. I get to be the pastor here. Um, haven't been here for a few weeks. Two of those were planned. One of those was not. Three weeks ago, um, I got home from Oklahoma, and I was sick, and literally, I called Dan Bell. At, I texted him. I know I called him. I called him at 540 in the morning. Woke him up. Uh, y'all just need to know how that conversation was. Like he, he answered the phone, hello? And I answered the, and I responded like, hey, Dan, <laughs> I can't go this morning, man. So now, in truth, I will tell you, um, I, I wasn't tested positive for COVID or anything like that, um, but I was sick. And in truth, I have preached sicker, but not in a pandemic where there's so much stigma attached to coughing and sneezing. So I elected to have Dan preach in my place. And I and have heard nothing but good. I watched the sermon. And I, I just got to tell you, as a pastor, as like the solo elder of this church for a while, it is such a good thing, uh, such a weight off of my shoulders to know that God has raised up within our church another, another man that can shoulder that load and that can be ready in season and out of season. Like out of season, like three hours notice. Um, it's just a blessing. And y'all got the privilege of hearing him twice, and, and I did too, and it's just a blessing, and I'm so thankful um, for that. That's not in the notes to put all that plug, plug about um, Dan um, back there, but he's on the back row in this section, and so you can go give him a hug. <laughs> you can go give him a hug after the service. I know he'll love that, being an introvert. So anyway, all right. So summary of the Exodus story. Um, it's a story about deliverance. God's people are in slavery. God brings them out by just miraculous um, signs and wonders. He destroys the army of the Egyptians, covers them up in water. Um, he brings them to Mount Sinai, which was actually the sign of, of how he would reestablish this and that he would do it. As he told Moses while Moses was out there tending his father-in-law's sheep, he said, here's a sign for you. All these people are going to worship me on this mountain. And then he does it and he come back and they are worshiping him on that mountain in Mount Sinai, on Mount Sinai. And so Mount Sinai is where God reestablishes the covenant. He says, this is who I am. This is who you are. Here's how you're to behave. And then in the fact of doing all of that, in the midst of Moses receiving all of this, this revelation from God, the Ten Commandments, he goes back down to give it to the people. And God says, hey, hold up, homie. Um, the people have, they, they freaked out. They've lost their ever-loving minds. Which is what Dan preached about last week. And... The people got impatient. They said, we don't know what's happened to this Moses guy. Make for us a God. And then they make the golden calf. They said, here is your gods who brought you out of, of Egypt. Which you got to be thinking, God's like, you, you people. You people. And his, and his anger burned then. And he put Moses kind of to a test. He goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe them all out. I'm going to bring up a new seed through you. Which that would have been kind of like, Cool. Moses could have like supplanted Abraham, but Moses doesn't do that. He says, no, no, no. No, God, for your own glory, what will the Egyptians say about you if you do this? And then he, and he goes on and he prays more. He goes, God, if you're going to do this, wipe my name out of your book. Like we see this incredible Christ moment from Moses where he's literally willing to put himself um, in the people's place and be cut off from God if God's going to do this to his people, I mean, it's incredible. Like, and God relented. Not God repented, but God relented from the disaster that he was going to bring upon this people. So they, 
he goes back up the mountain, he gets the, another set of um, tablets because he ground up the first ones, put it in the water, made the people drink it. I'm like, that's some, he's got some sway over people. How do you just like ground up dirt, put it in the water and say, yeah, drink it, all of you. That's what he does. They leave Sinai, they're three days gone, and now they're complaining about the manna. Now, in their defense, they've been eating this manna now for about a year and a half. I think of the manna like the Limbus bread of Lord of the Rings. You know, when Frodo and Samwise are on the mountain, and they're getting ready to go up, and they're like, what do we have to eat? And Samwise is like, oh, Limbus bread. Oh, more Limbus bread. That's what I, kind of how I think about the manna. I don't, I get to heaven, I'm sure God will straighten me out on that. Here's what I want you to know about this, this, this issue. Is like, why do we compare? That, that's the thing. Is like we're, we're, they're, the people of Israel are complaining, and we complain because we compare. And we see it right there in the text. They start com- comparing the, the manna to the fish and the melons and the leeks and the cucumbers and the onions that they have, which honestly sounds like a really good like keto paleo spread of food, right? It was, it was God that gave them like the, the manna, like introduced the carbs to them, you know. That right there is why I reject keto and paleo. God, God gave them carbs, all right? So, uh, but, they're, but they're, they're complaining about, about this, you know, God-ordained carbs that they have. And, um, and they start complaining. They're, and in their complaint, they reveal that they're comparing it to the stuff that they used to have. And this is where I think where we get a lot of our complaints. So that's what I just what are you complaining about right now? What is that kind of ongoing thing where you're just complaining and bringing to the Lord your your discontent, you're not happy with the situation, you're you're just bringing it before him. What is that thing? First of all, I want you to know that being a child of God does not make you immune to complaining. I mean, it's children of Israel it doesn't make you immune to comparison. Um, you can even be considered like really super spiritual, and you can you can get wrapped up in complaint in comparison. I, I'm just telling you as a as a pastor, um, I that happens with pastors as well. Um, can, pastors can get wrapped up in this. Um, I, I've been at these meetings, and I'm gonna have to go to some more of them. I've been to three Baptist associational meetings. I will have been to in the last month. And there's always a sense of when you when you get when you walk into those meetings that you, you walk in and you, you dread like they're gonna ask, Well, how many are you running? How many have you baptized? What's your money looking like? Now here's the thing nobody ever asked that. But that's what you think because what's going on in the heart of pastors, and I'm just being totally transparent and honest with you, like I compare. And then we get frustrated, like, why is it our church doing as well as this other church that was planted at the same time, you know, and then that church got a building. Well, Lord, why why did I get a building? Listen, buildings, leeks, melons, cucumbers, onions, fish. Grade school, elementary cafeteria, manna. And some of you don't like that. And honestly, there's been times where I haven't liked that. 
but it's what God has provided. And it's good. It's good. So what is that thing that you find? It's probably not a building for you. It's probably not, but it could be your marriage. It could be your job. It could be your health. It could be all kinds of things. What is that thing that you find con- you're constantly complaining about and comparing to others? Now, there's a, there's a sense in which this comparison is not completely a bad thing. It's not completely a bad thing. Because in the deepest sense, ultimately, when we find ourselves complaining about the way things are or comparing about the way things are, there is a sense that we recognize that things are not as they should be. C.S. Lewis says it like this. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only explanation is that I was made for another world. So there's a sense that our, that our discontent, that our complaining, that our comparison is not completely bad. It, there, it, there is a sense that you can get redeemed, that it can be redeemed, and we can recognize like, oh, yeah, things are not as they should be in this world. This world is a fallen place. It is a broken place. I, I am flawed. There is sin. People have sinned against me. I have sinned against other people, and I've messed some things up, and some people have messed some things up in my life. There is a sense that you have a right to be discontent. But it ought to be a holy discontent where we, that pushes us to long for God, not a discontent that causes us to accuse God of the provision with which He's given us. But, and that's the issue. Our desires are mixed with sin. Even as a believer, even as a follower of Jesus... Jonathan Edwards says this, he says that sin turns the heart into a fire. And there's never been a fire that has said, enough fuel, I'm full now. And, and your sin your, is the same way. There's never been a sinful heart that has said, I've had enough success, I've had enough love, I've had enough approval, I've had enough comfort. The more fuel you put into that fire, the higher it burns and the more it needs. The more oxygen it is sucking, the more fuel it has to have. When we lived in Velma, Oklahoma, I, um, we, I, I, just because I wanted to, I was like, I want to see if I could just heat my whole house with just this little wood-burning stove. So I started cutting firewood, which caused me to buy a chainsaw, which caused me to start selling firewood. And then, uh, then I started like looking for like just opportunities to get all this wood. And our church at the time was going through a building project, and they had they put like red oak all along the top of like this gym, and they had like just all these pieces of red oak that they had trimmed off for these boards. And so there's all these boards that were anywhere from like an inch to two and a half inches thick, and I had just like just a pile of it that was like twelve foot long, and so I just took it through my chop saw and chopped it all up like into 18-inch sections. And I thought, this is going to make good kindling for my fire. What I did one day was I stuck the whole firebox full of that red oak. Dried. I thought, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, oh, there was, there was a lot of O's. I got that sucker going, and I stepped back, and I was like, oh. And, and what do you do? How how do you shut it down? I mean, that thing was just roared. I thought I was going to break the fireplace. It was the hottest fire I'd ever made in my life. It was so hot. 
It like cracked the bricks inside the fire. It's just so hot. And that's how sin is. If you just keep feeding it, it will consume you. It will break things. What is that if only? If only, you know, Israelites were, if only we had some fish. If only we had some cucumbers, some leeks, some melons. All we have is, what is that if only at the bottom of your complaint or at your comparison? What is that? He tells us what manna was in verses 7 and 8. He said, now manna was like coriander seed. I don't know what that is. And its appearance was like that of bedellium. I don't know how that is either. And the people went out and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it into mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes out of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. Now, I know what cakes taste like oil is. That's like, that's pancakes. That's flapjacks. Maybe. That's how I'm interpreting it. You can interpret it however you want to. That's how I'm interpreting it. These people got tired of pancakes? What is, come on. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. This is awesome. Like, you don't have to grow it. It's just there. Verse 10. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans. Oh, it's not just one clan. It's throughout all the clans. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans. Everyone at the door of his tent. Oh, so they're doing this publicly. They're like, like just imagine your street and everybody just standing out in their driveway, just wailing complaining about the candy that they've got at trick-or-treating or or whatever. Uh, Imagine that. Just the whole street, just mourning, wailing, complaining, crying. Everyone at the door of their tent, oh, it gets better. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. Oh, now we've... Moses heard the people weeping. Anger of the Lord's blazing hotly. Moses is displeased. This sounds like some of your Sunday morning journeys to church. Kids are weeping and gnashing of teeth. Dad's mad, driving crazy. Mom's sitting in the passenger seat just shaking her head. Just, it just, right? I don't know about you, but the worst fights that ever happened in my family growing up happened on Sunday mornings. And here's what they came about. I was going to preach about this last week, but my dad showed up and I decided not to. He ain't here. He's a thousand miles away, and I will totally share it today. I got saved first in my family. And then mom and dad started coming about two or three years later. And there's a funny thing that happens, at least with kids, like when you're used to being the spiritual leader, and then like the people that you're called to be a missionary to actually become Christians. And then they like become the spiritual leaders. And when you're used to being the spiritual leader and you're no longer the spiritual leader, you tend to buck against it, especially when you're 16 or 17 years old. So dad, when he became a Christian, he starts following, starts taking us to church. He had a certain dress code that you had to, like, he thought you had to wear. Now at that time, it was popular for the young men to not wear socks with their leather shoes, which is dumb. But anyway, that's what was popular at the time. And you'd roll your pant legs up like in a French roll, and you'd wear like penny loafers and stuff like that. I, I know, it's, a, it's bad fashion. I, it's, but that's how we would do it. And Dad, I would walk out of my bedroom all red, just dressed. I'm like, I am going to 
I'm, I'm going to get some girl's phone number today in Bible study. And dad's like, you can't go to church without socks on. What? Where is that in the Bible? And we would have just these knockdown, drag out fights. And I'd storm off from my room, put these stupid socks on, get back in my car. There, you happy now, dad? Right there. I'm wearing ankle socks, ankle socks. I'm getting just the least amount of socks that I can. Go to church, get to the parking lot. I knew I was there for 10 minutes before he would get there. I'd take those socks off so I could be cool in front of my friends and then like make sure I was always pushing my pant legs down before he got there so he wouldn't see. Just fights Sunday morning. Yeah, I don't think that's by accident. I think that's designed by the devil. So here's what Moses says. Now here's what, where it gets kind of crazy. We hear the complaining of the people. Now we get to the complaining of the leader. Moses said to the Lord, and this is like, if there's a, if there's a genre of scripture called litigation, this is it. It's just rapid fire questions. I want you to see, I, want, I just want you to see if you can recognize any of these kind of questions or this kind of tone in your prayers and in your conversation with God. Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive of this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Subtle thing, just notice there, their fathers. Not our fathers, their fathers. Do you see the distance? See what's going on psychologically, sociologically with Moses? As he feels further from God, he gets further from the people of God. Verse 13. Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. Verse 14. This is the high point of the passage. I am not able to carry all this people alone the burden is too heavy for me. If Moses would have stopped right there, I believe God would have been like, yes, yes, you've got it. This is what I've been wanting for you. You got it. But he doesn't. Verse 15. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. That's a stupid thing to say to God. That's a dumb thing to say because he can like that. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once if I find favor in your sight. Like, kill me if I find favor in your sight. What? Mo Moses is a little emotional. That I may not see my wretchedness. Moses? Your wretchedness is pretty much on display right now. This is not a great passage for Pastor Appreciation Month. <laughs> Moses isn't perfect, is he? I, I'm going I'm to break some of your hearts. Some of you, are. it's, it's not going to be no surprise to you at all. I am not either. Amen. 
says the guy who asked people to stay seated when they were standing. Moses isn't perfect, and neither am I, and neither is any other leader that has ever been on the face of this planet. John Piper writes a book called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals, and it's true. We're not perfect. I want us to pay attention. There's five questions that Moses lays out here before the Lord, and I want you to pay attention to these questions that you're asking uh, in your own life. Are they accusatory? Do you come across with God in your complaint, in your comparison, as a litigator of sorts? Here's the five. Here's a breakdown of these. All these questions, they seem to revolve around the people of God. And in a sense, that is true. The people of God that, that, that God has called him to lead. But here's what's interesting. Only five times through these questions does he refer to the people of God, and he refers to himself seven times. Pay attention to how many times in your prayers, when you're complaining, that you say, I. Here's the breakdown of these questions. There's, out of these questions, there is one statement of fact, one conclusion, and one bad request. Here's the statement of fact found in 13, the second half of verse 13. The people are weeping and asking for meat. That is true. They were asking for that. But I want to give you just a leadership tip right quick. You don't have to give people everything they ask for as a leader. I don't know what's going on. I, I hope that's an ice maker. Okay, great. Someone's trying to get out of that kitchen. Wow. Let them out. All right. But you don't have to give people everything they ask for. That's a freeing thing as a leader. Now, you practice this as a parent. Isn't it a freeing thing to know that you do not have to give your child everything they ask for? As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure it's a crime to do so. If you give your child everything they ask for, you will break the child and break the world around them. You'll ruin your home. You do not want a home that is centered around the needs of that kid or the wants and desires of that kid. But here's the thing. The insecure leader will feel compelled to give everything they ask for. And the insecure parent will feel compelled to give that kid everything they ask for. The narcissistic leader or the narcissistic parent, they don't even think about them. They just, no. And here's the thing. The good leader or the good parent will sometimes be accused of both. That's the statement of fact. They are weeping. They are asking for meat. But you don't have to give them everything they ask for. Conclusion, verse 14. I am not able to carry this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. Right. Moses, you got it. You learned the lesson. Good job. Kill me, God. Whoa. Wait a minute. Back up. Put it into reverse. You should have stopped at that last sentence. But how many times do we do that in our complaining? That we get to the truth. And then we try to come up with our own solution to the truth of the problem. 
rather than stating the truth and then, and then sitting and waiting patiently for God to speak. Because God did have an answer. God's solution is found in verses 16 through 17. And God's solution was better than Moses's. Moses' solution was leave the people completely leaderless. God's solution was, no, let's give them 71 leaders. Look at verse 16 and 17. Elders appointed to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. With you. Moses, I'm not wanting to take you out. I'm wanting to give people... Give some people with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. Again, with you. God, I want to be, God's saying, I will be with you. I'm going to give people to be with you. I'm going to be with you. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put on them. Holy smokes, this is crazy. Like God is saying, I'm going to take some of, the, some of my spirit that I've put on you to equip you for this task to lead this people. I'm going to take some of that and put it on them. I'm not just going to say my spirit is only going to be on you, Moses, and then these other people are going to be not spirit-filled, coming, and you're going to have to be arguing with them all the time. No, no, no. I'm going to take, because I can be spread thin, but it ain't thin because it's thick, because I'm God, I'm omniscient, I'm omnipotent, I'm all-knowing, I'm everywhere at once. I don't get spread thin, Moses. You can spread me around as thick as you want to. I can spread me around as thick as I want to. Because I'm God, Moses. I'm going to take some of the spirit that I've put on you and I'm going to put it on all of these other men too. I'm going to equip them and call them the same way I've equipped and called you. I'm going to lead my people. I'm not going to leave you alone. And Moses, no, I'm not going to kill you. Why? And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. That's the answer to the statement of the recognition of the problem he gets to in verse 14. I am not able to carry this people alone. His, cry, his recognition of that was a cry of like, God, I'm alone. I need help. And God's like, and I will give it but not the way you think. So what are the questions that you're asking right now? And I don't know if you're a leader, but, but just where are you at? What are those questions that you're asking? He, Moses just asked several questions of Lord. Why have you done this? Am I able to do this? What are, what are the questions that you're asking right now? What are you asking God? What are you scared of currently? Take them to the Lord. We... We, we kind of point fingers at Moses with all this and say, oh man, how dare he talk to the Lord like that. At least he talked to the Lord. What I'm afraid we do so often in contemporary North American affluent consumeristic Christianity is we have our life all figured out. And instead of going to God, we go to Google or WebMD. Or Costco. You know, because between those three, they've got it all covered. 
instead of going to the Lord. At least Moses went to the Lord. There wasn't no Costco out there around Sinai. There wasn't no WebMD. There wasn't no Google. There was just God. And that's a scary thing because that's what God, that's God's plan. He wants to bring you away from those things that you put your trust and your hope in so that you can learn to trust and hope in Him. Take them to the Lord. Voice them. And don't hold back on the emotions that are accompanied with them. I promise you. I'm not saying that you should get irreverent with God. I don't think you should start calling God names. I don't think you should get irreverent. But I also don't think you should fake it. Don't come to God just like so logical and rational and reasoning. He is a God who gave you your emotions. Express them before Him. Don't come to Him as a robot. Now, for those of you who are a little bit more robotic in your prayers, I'm not accusing you of being a robot. As we wrap this thing up, God said, Moses, you got one thing right. You're not able to carry this people all alone. This burden's too heavy for you. Gather 70 men of the elders. Let them do this. I'm going to take some of my spirit, put it on them as well, so that you're not having to do this alone, and so that my people are well shepherded and taken care of. Now, there's a basis right there for a plurality of elders, which we're not going to get into that, We'll talk about that another time. But even that is a temporary solution. And here's why. Because even with God's Spirit on all of those 70 elders that God raised up for him, they're still not perfect. They're still not perfect. They're still not adequately able to bear all the burden of God's people. And no plurality of elders, no plurality of leadership, no staff, no deacon team, no leadership team is ever going to be adequately equipped to handle the weight of the human condition of the followers that is on their team. Same way in a marriage. Lori and I, when we first got married, um, I, I said, I said, I, I am not, Lori, you will never be number one in my life and I will never be number one in your life. The second we become number one in each other's lives, we will crush each other with our expectations. We, you cannot bear it. If you put your kid, your husband, your wife, your child, your boss, your leader, if you put them in the place of God, you will crush them with your expectations. They cannot bear up underneath that weight. And... You can't bear up under the weight if they make you number one either. So even a plurality of elders with God's spirit on them is still just a temporary solution. We need someone who can take on all of our burdens. We need someone who can bear the weight of the human condition. We need someone willing to die in order to get us through the wilderness, not someone saying, I'd rather die so I don't have to go through the wilderness. That's what we need. And we have one. We need a better Moses. And we have one. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate declaration of our worth to God because that's where all this is related to. It's, what, it's all rooted in. The reason we complain and the reason we compare is because we doubt our worth to God. And Jesus is the declaration of just how, worth, how worthy we are. 
Not that we're more worthy than God. Not that we're more worthy than Christ himself. But John 3.16. Let's not lose this. I know that John 3.16 has been hijacked by a lot of... I, I know that. But let's not, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's not go so far on one side of this. And let, let's let this wash over us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's the worth attributed to us. Why should we have to complain and compare when we say, no, my identity is in Christ. Christ has died for me. I should never doubt. I should never think that I'm, un- I'm not taken care of or that I'm not provided for. Christ has been given for me in my place. We have Jesus who said, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly of heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. We have Jesus who said, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You'll never be alone. We have Jesus who said, Father, not my will be done, but yours. Not my solution, but yours be done. We have Jesus who said, I'll go. Dad, I'll go. I'll lay down my life so that they can live. I will go and I will live as one of them. I will give up the riches and the glories of heaven and I will go and I will be born into a stable and I will live as a poor carpenter and I will suffer the rejection of man and the religious rulers. I will go and I will suffer all of that. I will put on flesh and bone and I will suffer death and I will make a way to bring them through any and all wildernesses. I will give, I will give myself for them so that I can put an end to all of their complaint and all of their comparison that I can put the final stamp and say you are loved you are worth you have value God loves you enough that he sent his son to die for you dad I will go and I will do that so when we find ourselves complaining and in the throes of comparison and discontentment We need someone who had it all and gave it up for someone else, us. That speaks directly to our worth. And there's nothing that puts a bullet in complaining and comparison like savoring and seeing Jesus Christ for who He really is. With all of that said, I'm going to give you four opportunities to respond to the word as it's been shared here today. Number one, um, we take communion every week at our church and we invite you. If you are a baptized believer and you are walking in faith and obedience and trust with Jesus, you're repenting of sin. Um, When you see something in the word of God that you disagree with, you change. You don't try to change it. If that's, if that's the condition of your heart, then we invite you to come and take communion. If you're new here and you're like, I don't know if I should take communion or not, that, this whole thing, I'm, I don't know if I'm a Christian. Um, I don't know if I line up where you are theologically. You know, that's fine. I don't want you to feel pressured that you have to come and take communion just because everybody else is coming and doing that. It's fine. You can sit this one out. Remain at your seat. Pray. But we want to invite you to a conversation. Number one, a conversation with God. Like, are, are you really a Christian? Are you willing to get honest with God and say, God, I, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And 
God, I just confess that I want you more than I want anything else. Or maybe you say, hey, I'm not there yet, but I'd like to talk to someone, I'd like to talk to a leader or talk with my friend afterwards, then, man, do that. Fill out one of those connect cards. Give us your name, number. Um, let us take you to coffee. Let's, let's talk about that. Because what we want you to do is have a relationship with Christ. Okay? Number three, community. Some of you have been coming for a while. Um, you like it here, and, but you're just attending, and you're like, hey, I'd like to like, take a step and get plugged into community. And, man, we do that through community groups. Um, we have some discipleship groups that take place, but we have community groups that take place in people's homes throughout the week. Um, and I just invite you to stop by the info table on the way out today. And again, give us your name, phone number. Tell us that you're interested in that. And, and our connections team, Sarah and Lori, they do a fantastic job. Um, they will contact you. They will contact you and, and we'll set something up, okay? And then the last one, is just congregational singing. After the communion is all done and we come back and we're sitting here, then people are just going to, Kyle's going to start singing. We're going to step, we're going to stand. And we invite everybody to sing as a congregation. Like he said, um, we don't have a worship band that's just on stage. We have a worship band. We're all part of that. That we get to sing and declare the grace and mercy of Jesus, the provision of Jesus, whereby all of our complaint and all of our comparison is killed. That our worth is established in Him and we get to ascribe to Him the glory due His name. And so we invite you to sing. Even if you don't take communion, sing. And you say, I don't know if, I've, I don't know if my heart is in a posture to sing today. That's fine. Let us sing over you. Just be surrounded by the worth of of God declared by his people and then if you want to talk with anybody afterwards let us know stop by the see me afterwards out there in the lobby we'd love to love to connect with you I'm going to pray for us we're going to let you come start taking communion then we're going to get to sing to Jesus okay Lord we thank you for all that you've done for us we thank you of your worth and the fact that you've ascribed worth to us, that we're made in your image, and that, God, you have not given up on us, that you have, you are long-suffering, and you keep coming back. And yes, it is true that we can anger you by our foolish ways and by our complaint when we forget what you've provided, but, God, you are so much more faithful than we are, and you continue to provide. That, God, you have stayed your wrath. Instead, you poured all your wrath out on Jesus so that we would not have to suffer that. God, may we take full advantage of the gift that you have given. God, may we press into Christ. So God, meet with your people today. God, those who are not sure whether or not, give them the courage to just fill out that card or come talk to one of us after the service. God, we love you. And you're good good name that we pray for our deepest joy God may you be praised today Amen